All right, go ahead and have a seat. And would you join me in prayer? I just think there's a lot of stuff happening in the world today that uh, we have to pause. Um, I don't know if any of you have been affected or had families affected by fire, but we've all been affected by smoke. Um, it is uh, literally raging across the country, or lost the, across the West Coast. A lot of folks are hurting, and um, it is the duty of people who know the God of grace to cry out to Him in times like this. And so let's do that together. Will you join me? Father, we come to you in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And Father, right now we can look at our state, we can look at our country, we can look at the world, and we realize that it'd be easy to convince ourselves that you are not in control. But Lord, that would be a lie. And so Father, we want to come to you and ask for people right now who are struggling, who are hurting, who've lost their homes, who've lost their loved ones, who, who have had to move out and don't even know if their place is still there. God, oh God, would you just put your arms around them? God, would you just love them and would you hold them close to you? Father, for those people who've been displaced and had to go to other places, God, we just want you to Reveal yourself in the places they've had to go. Father, we think of folks who are just wrestling with your goodness today. Father, we look at fires, we look at poverty, we look at sickness, and we can look at these things. And the challenge to your love is very, very real. But you didn't tell us to look at that to find your love. You told us to look at the cross. And so, God, would we be the kind of people who look at the cross and realize that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us? Would you draw us into that so not only do we sense and experience that you are a God of grace, but do we sense and experience and receive the invitation to take that grace to others? Lord, that's what we're asking for this morning. God, we ask for rain, not lightning, not thunder, but rain. God, you say that you make it rain. So, God, we're asking for that. We're asking for first responders, for firemen, for law enforcement officers who... What a difficult time to be in any of those roles. God, would you just place your hand upon them? You said that they're literally ministers... Of your, of your kingdom. So God, would you put your arms around them? And then would you remind us, God, this morning that we are here because of you, not us. We're, we owe you everything and you owe us nothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The conversation began uh, with a lot of lament. There was sorrow, there was tears. It was a difficult conversation to have because, you see, her husband had been enrolled in the most prestigious school there was at the time. Not only was she enrolled in the most prestigious school, she was actually, the teacher of this school was actually the one who one day had the nerve and the audacity to say to God, I don't want half of what 
my mentor had. I want double what my mentor had. And God gave it to him. The prophet Elisha stands literally towers above most all the prophets in Israel. And if you read his story, almost every time he moves, there's a miracle. It's an incredible story of a man who said, I accept the responsibility of being a leader and a prophet in your nation. God, would you give me your spirit that it might happen well? And her husband got to be in his class. What an amazing opportunity that is, right? He got, to, she, he got to actually show up and learn from this man who had the courage to be bold in his prayers and bold in his life, and he was being mentored and groomed to be a prophet in Israel. And then he got sick, and then he died. Puzzling for her was because that's not supposed to happen. He's, this is supposed to turn out better. And so here's what happened. She began to spend everything they had, not recklessly, but to survive. And eventually, she shows up at Elisha's door. Excuse me, sir. My husband gave his life to this God, to this service, to this opportunity, and we now have spent everything we have, and the creditors are showing up at our door, and they're going to put our sons into slavery. It's not supposed to work this way. When we read it out of 2 Kings chapter 4, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read this to you. But when we read it, it lacks the dimensions of what's really taking place sometimes. Something significant is happening here. A conversation is happening here. And so here's how it reads. The wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead and... You know that your servant feared the Lord, but now the creditors have come to take my two children and to be as slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. She'd spend it all. She'd managed her living, she'd managed, and, and she was at empty cupboards. There was nothing left. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors. Empty the vessels, empty vessels, and not too few. That's a way of saying, get as many as you can. Hoard them, borrow them, get them, bring them in, put them in your wheelbarrow, haul them all to your house, and fill your house with these vessels, these empty vessels. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour all into pour into all of these vessels and when one is full set it aside so she went from him shut the door behind herself and her sons and as she poured they brought the vessel to her and when the vessels were full she said to her son bring me another and he said to her there is not another then she the oil stopped for she came and told the man of God and he said go sell all the oil or go sell the oil and pay all your debts and then you and your sons can live on the rest. 
We come to this story, and it's a little bit of an interruption in the Sermon on the Mount, but I think it's appropriate today because we're going to have a congregational meeting afterwards, and we're going to talk about where we've been and where we're headed as a church and what we believe God wants us to do. And I feel like this passage sets the stage for us in a very special way. And so I just want to make a few observations from this text, if I could. The first one is, I just want to talk about the frustration of faithfulness. Can we talk about that for a minute? There is a frustration of the faithful people. I look around this room and I see amazingly faithful people. You have given, you have served, you have prayed, and you have, you have labored for God in so many ways. You've loved so many people. And we come to a place in church history where we are here and... It doesn't feel like we deserve to be here on a fragile platform of a church. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's not because we've been disobedient and sinful. We can recognize that. We can say, oh man, I really messed up, God. Please don't judge me too harshly. But that's not the case here. There's a frustration to faithfulness sometimes. There's a great story in the New Testament, Matthew 14. Jesus has just fed bazillions of people. He's fed them. He's, he's, it's a long day for him. He heard his cousin John is dead. He feeds all these people. He's healing. He's teaching. And he says, listen, I want you guys. He looks at his friends. I want you to get in the boat. Go to the other side. And they start their way over. Jesus goes up to the mountains to pray. It's about 6 p.m. in the evening. Now it's about 3 a.m. And his disciples are rowing a boat, still trying to get across the sea because there was a storm. And the Bible says the winds were against them. And they're in the middle of the sea, and the storm happened right in the middle of doing what God asked them to do. That's against our theology in America, isn't it? Wait a minute. We're supposed to be in the land of prosperity. Everything's supposed to turn out right. And here is a woman who says, My husband was enrolled in the best school to be a prophet in Israel, to speak for God. And she was under the best teacher, the best leader, and he died. And now everything has fallen apart, God. She goes to Elisha, and there's a frustration that happens. And it's worse than that. Because now in that culture, those debts come calling. See, in, in our culture, when the debts come calling, we have bankruptcy or we have negotiations or then they just took your kid and made him an indentured servant a slave she's got two sons and she is literally on the precipice on the threshold of losing everything while doing what's right wow that doesn't seem fair. And there is a frustration that comes to us in faithfulness. Can I give you one reason why I think that is? You ready for it? This is just going to be really deep theology. You ready? Because the devil doesn't like you. He just doesn't. He's against God. He's against God's kingdom. And he's powerful. And he can do a lot of things. And he does. And we keep falling for it. We keep falling for it. We argue, we gossip, we fight over things that God doesn't care about. I had this thought this morning as I was having coffee with my wife. I said, do you think all the stuff that we've been arguing about this last six months on Facebook and on TV, do you think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to go, boy, I'm sure glad you spent a lot of time talking about that. 
I mean, do you really think that's going to happen? I think you know it's not. We come to church and we sing, oh, to be like you. And then we leave church and we say, oh, to be like something else. And there's a frustration in our faithfulness. come to this place this morning and Satan says I got you, I'm going to trick you, I'm going to dupe you, I'm going to fool you and he does so well, doesn't he? He does so well and we come to this place now and we say there's a frustration in our faithfulness. There's good news I titled this message this morning that we have enough. We actually have enough. God has never left the church without enough to do what God wants done in that church and through that church. He just doesn't do that because he builds the church and he loves each one of you and he loves this place and he loves each of us together and he wants us to join him in something that's bigger and better than us. And Satan comes in and says, no, 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 you don't have anything. And that's pretty much where this widow was. And not only, not only do we look at this and we say, wow, there's a frustration in our faithfulness. But you know what? More than that, there's a question. There's a question that, that we have to ask, that we are going to be asked today. And the question is, what's in your house? What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? I was sitting in North India, and I was with a group of pastors. And by the way, the poorest person in this room has more money than my friends in India. And I was sitting there talking with them, and they're, they're literally uh, malnutrition, starving, struggling, trying to figure it out. They're being persecuted by Muslims for following Jesus. It's crazy times over there for them. And I was sitting there on a floor, and it was a room maybe about the size of the, of the cry room there, and we're sitting there, there's about 40 of us. And it's raining and water's coming down the walls on the inside. And we're all huddled in. A couple of candles lit the room. And as we're sitting there, the question comes, what's in your house? What do you have? And one pastor says, I have nothing. I have nothing. I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. How'd you get here? I rode a motor scooter. Oh, so you have a motor scooter, don't you? Did you guys have rice yesterday? Yes, we did. What'd you cook it on? We have a little tiny, oh, so you have a stove. See, that's what's happening here. It's that, it's that bare bones. Do you guys know this sentence from the Bible? Give us this day. Say the rest of it. I have never had to pray that in my country. Do you know why? Because it's in, the daily bread's in my refrigerator. She didn't have that. She walked... She didn't have a refrigerator, but she, there was nothing. What do you got? I got nothing. And then it's almost as if something's happening. Oh, wait. I do have a little flask of oil. I have a little bit of oil. Full disclosure, I've got a little bit of oil. What's in your house? What do you have this morning? People are watching online. We got computers. What an amazing tool for God that can be. We all drove here in our cars. What an amazing tool that could be. Some of us on the way here stopped and got some coffee. What an amazing opportunity. You know what's really dangerous in the hands of God? A follower of Jesus and a cup of coffee. It's true. 
can't tell you how many times I've had a cup of coffee in my hand. I got to look at somebody and say, you know, there's a God that loves you and wants to be your friend. What do you have? Okay, I'm going to take a little survey, all right? You ready for this? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. If you feel bad, it'll be the Holy Spirit. We'll just blame him, all right? How many of you have more than one Bible in your house? That's all of us. How many of you have a device, a phone, a smartphone, or something that you have a Bible on? Oh, man. You guys are like loaded. You got more than a little flask of oil, but we come to this p place in our church and we look around and we go, do we have enough? Can we make it? Are we going to get through this time? Is East Parkway... Are our days getting darker and colder? Do we have enough? We got so much. It's enough. And that's the question that I think a lot of us have been asking this last several months and maybe for the last few years as you have watched people you love say, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm out. I didn't like what was said. I didn't like how it went. I'm not getting fed. Whatever the reason is, they moved away. They simply said, our family's going to a new place. And every time, it hurt. And we come to this place this morning, and I want you to hear this from God himself. You have enough. You have enough. There's enough here. The question is, what's in your house? The question is, what is in your house right now? This uh, week, Andre and I were talking. And we said, hey, this smoke, this weather, it's pretty ugly out there. Let's come upstairs. Let's be here together. But let's open up this room and let's open up all the rooms downstairs so that we have, an, we have enough space to house everybody that wants to come to this church and still Respect the distances and boundaries of people. We have enough. The lights are on. We have enough. God's doing something here. We have enough. What's in your house? And a lot of us come here this morning going, all I have is just this little flask of oil. It's all we got. It's going to be enough. And the answer is, you betcha. That's Hebrew. You betcha, it's going to be enough. But here's the next thought we have to deal with. It's not how much I have, but how I use what I have. It's not what I have, but how I use what I have. When this, when this uh, crazy time hit, and there was a, we, we, we were in Cuba, and we're on our, on our way um, into the airport in Havana. And they've got this, this uh, machine that's taking our temperature as we walk past. Remember that, Jenny? And, and, and it's like, oh, man, and in my head, that something's going on because they've never done this before. I've never seen them take our temperature as we walk in. They're trying to find out if somebody's sick. And we hit March, and we think, oh, no, and all this stuff. And I, I really don't care about your political thoughts on that because Jesus doesn't either. We're not going to get to heaven and him, him's going to say, you know, you were 100% right on that. Either way, you believe. I don't think he cares that much. But here's the thing. Life went crazy for all of us. 
I have a ministry that causes me to travel four or five months a year to other countries. And everything got shut down. And God said, yeah, but you have enough because there's this church in Granite Bay that I love a lot. And now you're available. Which I wouldn't have been. And, and you've had a chance to write because you have enough. And it's not. It's not what you have. It's how you use what you have. So how are we going to use it? That's the question moving forward. How are we going to use what God has given us in this church? Boy, I look around here and I see some people who love God deeply who know his word really well, who pray like crazy. Some of you have prayed for me, and it's actually made a huge difference in my life. You prayed for my family. Wow. There's a lot in here, isn't there? Man, there is, there's at least 25 years of Christian faith. We'll <laughs> go a lot higher, but I don't want to say how old any of you are. So Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door because behind you, you and your sons. And here's the idea. It requires a humble boldness for us to use what God has given us. Because we typically, in this culture, want to use the excess of what God has given us, not what we need. Guilty. And when this thing broke out, this whole crazy upside down world, I asked God, I said, God, I feel like I'm taking COVID class. I don't want to flunk it. I don't want to get an F in COVID. So how do I pass this class? And here's what he said to me. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't be a conspiracy theorist. Be generous. Be gracious. Be humble. Give what you have. Give what you don't have. And we, my wife and I, have tried to do that as much as possible. My neighbors haven't had to buy coffee in months. That's the benefit of having a wife that works at Starbucks. We brought food to our friends. We, we've given money away. And I'm not bragging. I'm just simply telling you, we went out of our way to say, God, how do we take what's in our pocket? What do we have? What's our flask of oil? And how do we use it for the kingdom? And then a church calls and says, could you help? Could you come alongside? Could you walk with us? Could you, could you give us some encouragement? And I promise you, I didn't have time. But I had. And so to take out of my pocket what I have and say, hey, East Parkway, let's do this together. What do you have? A lot. And God's going, listen, I, I don't care what you don't have. I, I'm never going to stand in heaven and God's going to say, hey, listen, I know you didn't have this, so what did you do with what you didn't have? That's reverse stewardship, isn't it? God goes, hey, listen, I gave you this, what'd you do with it? I gave you this, what did you do with it? And that's where we are today. That's what Elisha is saying to this woman. What do you have? I have a little flask of oil. 
Great. Now go to all. You know what she had? She had neighbors. She had sons. She had a place where she could shut a door. And as she began to look through what she had, she had more than she thought, didn't she? And so do we. As I'm sitting with these pastors in North India, I said, what do you have? I said, where do you sleep at night? Well, we have a little flat. All four of us share the same bed. I said, okay, that's enough. But what do you have? What do you have that you can share? That's the point. That's the point. You know what I love seeing here every week I come? I love seeing somebody walk over to their car and pull out squash, pumpkins, watermelons, and see you share that. That is actually a window into heaven. You know how to do it. Way to go. We need to keep doing that with more and more and more and more. What do you have? It's not how much I have, but how I use what I have. And here's, here's the promise of God. It's not that when I give, he makes me rich. You know that passage in Malachi? Test me and see, and I'll, I'll open the floodgates of heaven. You remember that? That doesn't apply to you. That applied to the nation of Israel, who had broken their promise to God when Ezra read the scroll. And when Ezra read the scroll, they said, God, we'll do whatever you ask. And God, literally, the book of Malachi is about God saying, you didn't keep your promise. That's why that passage starts with, you've robbed me. Not with, you're great, you're doing awesome, but hey, you guys have missed the boat. And he's not looking at, at, at Emmanuel or, or Bob or Terry who lives in Jerusalem saying, listen, if you give to me, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven on you and your farm's going to... Here's what he's saying. To the nation of Israel, which we are not. To the nation of Israel, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. And all the nations of the world will know that I'm your God. Here's what he says to you and me in the New Testament. Give and then give some more. Freely you've received, so freely give. Be generous. Be like Jesus who, although he was rich, became poor for our sakes. And then he goes on in that same text in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He says, and when you do, God's going to find a way to help you even be more generous. And the blessing of God is not that he makes me rich, but in his kingdom economy today, that he allows me to find new ways. Because when I begin to explore what I have in my house, I find more things. He says, oh, you could give this away too. When our kids were little, we were trying to teach them about tithing. We said this, okay, here's a dollar. We broke it into dimes. Any of you do that? We broke it into dimes and said, okay, this one goes into your savings because that's smart, right? And this one goes into, into giving to God because that's what he wants you to do. And you get these other eight. And I remember my tender-hearted kids going, well, why don't we just give God all these? And we talked them out of it. No, 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 no. That's not just one. And then you grew up with that mentality. And God says, that's not what I expect of you. I expect it all. Pour yourself into it. And if it seems kind of pushy that I'm saying that stuff, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I don't mean to be mean. I'm just okay with that. Because God's going, listen, what do you have? And how are you going to use it? 
God has a vision for this church. But it will not happen unless we're willing to say, God, here's what I have in my house. My time, my talent, my treasure. Here's what I have. And I'm ready to go. That's how he uses it. Now you know why I picked this passage this morning. Huh? Actually, I think it picked us. We have enough. But we've got to understand it's not just what you have, but it's, it's literally how you use what you have because God's design is fruitfulness. Everything God creates, everything he launches, everything he moves is designed to bear fruit. You've heard me talk about this. You know it's on my heart. You know that I believe that we, our job, our task, our role is to make disciples who make disciples. And the reality of it is, that's the design of God. It's what he put in motion when he created. If you guys ate bread this morning, you ate food that's been producing seeds for 6,000 years. If you ate any fruit this morning, God put in the DNA of all the stuff we eat, reproduction. Then he created a people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and he said, listen, listen, I'm going to start with two, Abram and Sarai. I'm going to change their names a little later on, but I'm going to start with these two people, and they're going to reproduce not only a nation, but a spiritual heritage so that the Messiah could enter into the world. And it's all about reproduction. And then he says, I'm going to do something again. When my, when my son enters the world and he comes, he says, I'm going to build the church. And then the DNA of the church is reproduction. God delights and designs fruitfulness. So she went and told the man of God, and he said, sell the oil. Because you know what happened? She went behind, she shut the doors, I, can you just imagine this with me? I don't know how big her flask of oil was. But let's just say it's this big. She's got these big jars. She's borrowed them all. And she's pouring. And she's pouring. And she's pouring a flask this size into something this size, and it's still going. This is crazy. This is amazing. And she does this and all. It just Can you feel that in a moment? Just like, wow. Something supernatural is taking place. And she's pouring and pouring. And then she goes, oh, give me another one. And they bring her another one. And give me another one. And she, she was told to borrow a lot of them, right? Not just a few. Her whole house is filled with these things. And she's pouring. And she's pouring. And she's pouring. And then God says, now, through him, he says, hey, listen. Now go sell all that stuff, pay off all your debts, and live on the rest. God designs fruitfulness into all of us, into humanity, all of creation, into his people, and into the church. And it's supernatural. When we bear fruit, it's not because we worked hard. It's because we've partnered with him in what he wants in this world. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. East Parkway, we have enough. Everything we need, we have. We're ready. We're going to do a business meeting or congregational meeting. It's not really a business meeting. We're going to do a congregational meeting. As soon as I'm done here, we'll take a few-minute break. 
And I want to invite you to stick around because that's where we're going to be moving into what's next for the first two and a half months that I've been here. My job, my goal, my process, the way I think is just to get to know you better, to know the church better, to know the history of this church, to listen to you, to pray for you, to pray with you. And my life is so much better because you're in it, because that's what we've done. And now we've come to the place where we have to take the next step. And the next step comes with a question. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? What's next for us? It's time. It's time to let go. Time to let go of some things that maybe we've held on to in this place far too long. And maybe it's a wound. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's a tradition. Maybe it's a way of doing things. It's time for us to say, in an open hand, I'm going to let go. Because this is your church, Jesus, and you build it. You promised that. It's time to use what we have. And so the question drops on our lap one more time. What do you have? What do you have? It's time to shift. I want to say this carefully, and we'll talk more about this later, but I want to say this carefully. I don't talk about politics in church, and I'll tell you why. Because we don't represent one side of the aisle or the other. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And we can look at values and say, well, these values more align with my king, but they're not your king. And these values don't, they're, it's still not your king. Our job here is to not propagate anything but the king and the kingdom. That's it. And that's why I don't talk about it. It's time for us maybe to shift our thinking away from a political mindset I was in a prayer meeting this week, and as I was praying, I thought to myself, which you're not supposed to do when you're praying, think to yourself. But I did it anyway, because I'm human. I thought to myself, if I were to knock on the door of one of our political leaders, and I had opportunity to share Jesus with them, and I said, listen, I follow Jesus, and I want you to know him all they would have to do is look at the Facebook and the comments of Christians and say, why would I want to be that? Why would I ever want to follow a Jesus whereas people think I'm an idiot? And I thought, oh, I should watch my mouth. That's me. I have to be careful. You see, it's time for us to shift because this church's future is not in our freedom as a nation, but it is in the power of our God. Amen? That's where we're headed. To join him in his mission and what he wants done for his honor because he is a God of love. That's what we're going to do. So it's time to shift so that our sons can live. So that our daughters can live. So our communities can live. I was in um, Nigeria, and I was sitting in the home of my friend Daniel and his three little girls. 
And they, there's something about me that looks like a playground toy when I sit in their house. And they climb all over me and they jump on me and they pull my hair. Actually, they touch my hair because there's no hair like this over there. And then they rub my skin to see if the white's going to come off and see if somebody turned me inside out maybe because it's not black like theirs. And they're hugging me and we're, we're laughing and we're playing. And I look over and I see their papa who's got a scar from here to here because Muslims tried to cut off his head. And I said, are you okay, my brother? I am. Because Nigeria is my country, but heaven is my home. And that's why we have joy. <sighs> Can we do that? Can we do that together? I hope we can. Because that's, that's where I'm going to go. That's where I want to take us. And I want you to join because I love you guys. I've been praying for you every day. Uh, we just finished 28 days of praying together. Seven of uh, just a week of waiting, coming together. 21 days of fasting and prayer. Wow. Aren't you anticipating something now? I mean, that's a lot of chatting with God, isn't it? And so... Let's go somewhere together. So the question is, what do you have in your house? The reminder is, it's not what you have, but how you use it. The reality is, is sometimes there's frustration in doing the right thing. And that's not going to go away. That's not going to go away. But neither am I. Not unless you fire me. But we're going somewhere. Can I pray for you? Father, you have been so, so, so good to us. We sing songs to you that remind us that, that you are faithful. We sing songs to you that remind us that you are good. We sing songs to you that point out the multiple and multitude of ways in which your goodness is real. And then we sing a song, Oh, to be like you. May that not just be words. May you turn this community of people here into a place that is like you. And Jesus, we're going to lift you up higher and higher because we believe that when you're lifted up, something supernatural takes place and you draw people to yourselves. And we long for that. God, it's easy to say, well, I don't have much. I don't get around like I used to or whatever those things are. God, would you ignite in us a strength that we've never had to do something maybe we've never done so that people that have never known you would. We long for that. But more than that, you long for that. Thank you for Elisha. Thank you for the story that comes from your word. Thank you for the reminder that you indeed do all things well. And it is for your glory and honor we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.